From Studio 113, this is the Changing Energy Podcast, recorded at Wake Electric. Okay, that's your morning dance segment. Yeah. Love it. I wish the listeners could see us, you know, how we get all hyped with that music. Whenever Stay we tuned. start that music, whenever we start that music, everybody in the room just starts dancing. And Kirk, you're an amazing dancer. It's <laughs> <laughs> a secret. Don't let it get out. No, it's, it's soon to come. We'll get He's got this soon. move that's sort of like a wave um, or a worm or, or something. <laughs> Sean's got, he's got all the moves. His shoulders just kind of bounce up and down. I raise the roof. Yep. Yeah, that's what we do. Classic. Okay. Well, uh, we are at episode four. Golly. And mm. I just need to tell everybody we're super excited here at the Changing Energy Podcast because we have surpassed a thousand listens. Woo! A thousand listens. Awesome. A, Thank y'all. A thousand Woo. listens after only three episodes? Three episodes, a thousand listens. All I got to say is, thanks, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks, family. <laughs> hey, we all, hey, family, could you just put this on a loop and not, and you know repeat this nonstop for the next three weeks? Mm. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got some really great reviews. People have, have been very nice to us in telling us about the reviews. I was uh, just pulling up a, a text from a friend of mine who shared it with some friends in Virginia, and, and, and he was minute by minute telling me their reviews, and one of them was, so far, this is pretty interesting. Thanks for sharing. Okay, that's, yeah, we'll take that's it. a mild review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it, the next one was one minute later. Don's dad, John, lives up by you. Thank you. Amazing stories. Hey, we got amazing. And a minute later after that, it was, hey, I'm just digging listening to these Carolina boys talk about power. <laughs> and that's what we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, the, the stories are interesting, and it's working out great. So uh, appreciate everybody out there. Well, any uh, any and, thoughts? You know, I just keep hearing, you know, when's the next episode? So I think we're really going to try every three weeks. You know, to begin with, I was thinking four or five, but Don, Sean, you're right. Three weeks, we need to do it. <laughs> when we can. Yeah. yeah. People people want them even more frequently than that. Um, I feel like after episode three, I've just been getting a lot more suggestions, more people talking about it. Sure, me too. Um, me too. Just just in general, even within my uh, system operators and stuff, just more people more excited about it. I guess after three episodes, people are seeing it as more of a real thing in general, yep. kind of see where we're going. It's just true with anything, even with like a television show or something like that. You kind of have to give it some time to grow before you realize what it, what's being done. Right. And that's and, what our podcast is doing. And these ideas are great because I don't even think about it. And we just had, uh, we ha- are getting ready to have someone retire that is in vegetation management. And someone saying, well, after 30 some years of experience, that has yeah. changed a lot. And we're getting ready to invest major money into improving that. So very good topic. We'll yeah. catch these people as they retire. <laughs> because <laughs> who else can tell better that things have changed than the people that have mm-hmm. been here for a long time. So we want to make sure we... we and I bet he's got those. some good stories. Yes. You know, the oh, stories. Yeah, that guy yeah. has a lot of stories, too. He's <laughs> like Odie. <laughs> he's like Odie, and I appreciate everybody that listened to the Odie and was okay with the fact that we had to use the sensor button once. That was fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it yeah. was expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pre-production we already yeah. 
you, you bring a lineman in here, and uh, you never know what stories will get told. And uh, he kept it clean for the most part. So yeah. We're happy yeah. about that. I was surprised only one time, but hey, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> well, we're excited. We have a great episode for you. But I also heard a lot of uh, feedback that said people liked our banter at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That they like getting to know us. So I figured we'll just take a moment to get to know everybody. Especially when we got that text saying, yeah. we like listening to these Carolina, Carolina. boys. Yeah I, yeah, I grew up down the road in Durham, Durham, North Carolina. You were raised in Durham, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. You know, Durham's a good city. Let so, me ask you this question. What uh-huh. did you want to be when you grew up? Wow, well, when I was little, I wanted to be a, a doctor. But then I realized I wasn't smart enough, you know, to be a <laughs> oh, doctor. <geez>. So. <laughs> So you're going to the you electric know, business. Yeah, yeah, I said, I need <laughs> oh, to go. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Uh, Metcalf. Um, we'll, you know, uh, I write like a doctor. You know, yeah, my I've got, I got a stiff good. neck this morning, so we'll uh, have to talk a little bit later. Sean, where did you grow up? I grew up in Greenville, North Carolina. Pirates. You are a North Carolina <laughs> boy there. All right. Yeah, I, was, I was raised there, yeah. yeah. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, at first, a magician. Oh, wow. Who doesn't? Uh, that is cool. <laughs> and um, especially this is me showing how young slash how old I am. But there is this uh, TV show on. Get me to tell how old I am. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So young or old, depending on the audience. But uh, there is this show on Fox where this guy with a black mask on would reveal the magician's secrets. Yes. I forgot what it was called. But oh, man. man, I saw that and I was like, yes. I want to do this. <laughs> this is my calling. We have a doctor and a magician in the house. Mm. I was born in 1971, so the 70s were just alive with space travel, and so I just wanted to be an astronaut. Makes sense. Oh, so yeah. that was what I want to be. But once I hit my teenage years, it moved from astronaut to rock star. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, stars, you know, you yes, still you still kind of... to be among the stars. Yeah, there period. you go. Yeah. And now... Rock star on the energy, changing energy podcast. That's right. <laughs> Full <Love> circle. <laughs> I love it. Good. Uh, I hope everybody appreciates who you're, who you're listening to and who you're uh, enjoying these topics with. Hey, Kirk. Yes, sir. What would a barefooted person get if they stepped on an electric conductor wire? Barefooted person. I don't know. Berry juice? What was that? Berry juice? I don't know. Berry juice. Berry juice. <laughs> It's a pair of shocks. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A pair of shocks. Okay. Hey, Sean. I told yeah. you I wasn't smart. What happened when the electrician caused a fuse to blow when working on an ice factory? I'm not sure. It went into liquidation. <laughs> oh, I'm fist pumping right now. I'm fist pumping because those were so amazing jokes. We're either getting people cracking up or eye rolls. Yeah, I was going to say. It's one or the other. No in between. We have a great episode. We're going to next go to the news, and then we're going to hit our topic of the day, which is smart meters. Uh, we're going to talk about mm. the benefits of smart meters. We're also going to talk about a, a lot of myths that have been busted uh, got a lot of attention early on when they were being deployed. We'll talk all about what they can and can't do and the benefits they provide. And then we'll finish off with a couple listener questions. But for now, here's the news. And now, the news. What did we find, Sean? Yeah, we found this uh, article here from Energy News Network. Um, it was written by Jake Zuckerman 
from Ohio Capital Journal says gas electric companies cut off 270,000 Ohioans amid pandemic and billions in profit says in most cases, the total money owed by customers who had their service cut off was just a small fraction of the millions of dollars that went to CEO compensation and shareholder dividends. Okay. This is a, this is a little touchy (laughs) article, but I I feel like it's worth talking about mainly because cooperatives around the country probably can pat themselves on the back a little bit uh, after reading something like this. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Just talks about, you know, the mandates, you know, after the mandates in Ohio and uh, all the Ohioans that, you know, they cut off and uh, after the mandates and then, you know, the salaries of the CEOs of the investor owned utilities. And then also they still pay their dividend to uh, stock owners. Yeah. So let's just, you know, we, we haven't mentioned COVID, I don't think, on our podcast yet, but no. it was a, a very trying time for all the world, of course. Utilities specifically were forced into an essential role, mm-hmm. and it was recognized that they were an essential role. There was nothing that we do at the electric cooperative that could really stop. Sean, you manage the dispatchers. They have to keep an eye on the whole system. Yep. They never took a day off, and they have to be in the office because that's all for security reasons. That's where our monitoring stations are. So, you know, what did a couple things that we did with your guys? Oh yeah, so yeah, it, it never changed with us. Like the times that we had to come in because it's twenty four seven. Like none of that changed. The only difference was that um, if there was any time that I had two people that was in the same office together, we had one go to our different offices located in the Wake Forest. Okay. Uh, to keep you know social distance and didn't have two people in the same room, or if we did have to do that in like just very few occasions when it was like a storm or something like that, yeah, we made sure that the um, desks were far enough apart and we have two doors on either side of the room so that each person could exit on a different door so they never had to wow. get that close to each other. But and other it, than that, <laughs> it worked like a normal day. Like we sure. had to keep going; we couldn't stop. And our warehouse, which pr- supplies equipment to our folks in the field. Maintenance never stopped. On call linemen never stopped, and and really construction never stopped. So but now they're outdoors, but they really have to work together. And so we had a lot of protocols to keep them safe. But of course, our members that were losing jobs and were, were struggling needed to pay electric bills because we st- we were not going to shut off power. It was mandated by our governor Roy Cooper to, and he did that on March thirty first. I believe of 2020. That's right. And said, "I'm going to put a moratorium on on shutoffs, fees, penalties." Yep. And that was scary. I mean, that's what that's our business. We sell power. <laughs> yeah. And and what would prevent everybody from saying, "I just can't. I'm just not going to pay my electric bill." And I've got to say, we put the call out there and and met the requirements of that, and we're very pleasantly surprised at the number of our members that continued to pay through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But besides the moratorium, what's called for, do not cut the people off, do not charge any penalty fees, late do not fees, charge yeah. any late fees. That was sort of where it stopped. 
But I have to applaud the cooperatives around the country, which generally did some other things. And specifically, Wake Electric, yep. our board of directors made a couple other calls that I think really worked out well. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they did. They allowed our members, if they had deposits on file, to uh, take the deposits and uh, and pay their bills. And we had 1,200 members take advantage of that, over $400,000, wow. you know, to, to help. So that was amazing. So we collect deposits. Usually it's about a, a, a two months worth of estimated bills. And that's if the credit report doesn't come back and, and show us that they, they might be at risk. So we were able to give those back in advance with no penalties to use toward electric power. Mm-hmm. And and what else? This is sort of a cooperative-centric yeah. type of uh, deal. But being a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative, we give back – our, our dividends sort of per se mm-hmm. in the form of capital credits or equity in our company back to our members that we serve. And the board authorized the uh, the $2 million in capital credits that would have been paid out in December. They paid it out in July. Right. So, you know, Six months early. Yeah. Great. So that, that helped. And so we obviously jumped out there and said we will do what we can to make this work. And then once we did say, okay, it's time to start collecting, we did not ask for lump sum right away or we cut right. you off. We gave everybody six months after after the moratorium on a payment plan. And I don't have the exact numbers and don't really want to present the exact numbers, but I can say that we were all, and I when I say we, customer service, member services, all of us and our board of directors are very pleased that we had to write off very, very little of this when when it all came at the end of the year. So it worked. Co-op stepped up and, and saved their money. Can't say exactly the same. Ohio, uh, the co-ops don't know exactly what they did because the seven utilities that are highlighted in this article are very specifically for investor-owned utilities. Investor-owned right. utilities that were paying $400 million in dividends. In dividends. Yeah. And then and, also, don't forget, didn't they get like some CARES Act money? Yes. I mean, so it's like there's so much that. <laughs> yeah, so they received CARES Act money for this and then decided to still cut off <laughs> yeah. 270,000 um, of their customers. Uh, what I what I read in this article was that those customers represented about $60 million in revenue. Hey, not an insignificant amount, right. but we're talking about companies that pay their CEOs between 15 to $30 million. Easily, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it was. It, it is a touchy subject, but I want to just bring this up just to point out that I believe in our members. We did, and they paid us back, and we protected them during that time. So I'm very pleased. So there's the news. We hope that, that you get a chance to look at the article that uh, we posted in the show notes. And now we get into our main topic of the day, which is smart meters. Smart Woo-hoo. meters have changed the utilities world and hopefully it's changed a lot of our consumers world too hopefully they're getting they're seeing the benefits straight out but i want to start off with a little story um, a little bit more about my history i graduated with an engineering degree in 1993 and i immediately went to work for a meter manufacturer as a sales rep so I was given presentations. Door-to-door salesman? It was not door-to-door. <laughs> we have yet to sell meters that many to uh, consumers. They just they, they choose to let the utilities buy those for them. Mm. But I was really, really nervous because this says nothing about meter shops, but the average age of a meter tech that has been in the shop, sometimes they're retired linemen, 
and, and they were they were they had been in this industry for a long long time and so my biggest fear was what in the world could a 21 year old green right out of college tell any of these yeah. folks about meters that they didn't already know yeah. okay yeah and so what are you bring it to the table you know they've been what am i 30? bringing to the table yeah. i could just say you want to buy what you've always bought <laughs> but no it was i was extremely fortunate in that change was happening that was the beginning of change that's when smart grid and smart technologies were starting to just come out and they weren't even calling them smart meters then. But on almost the same day I was hired was the same day that a major manufacturer at the time, it was Schlumberger, it's now iTron. Schlumberger put out a letter to all of their existing customers and said, we no longer make, are going to make <coughs> mechanical meters. Oh, wow. That we are going to all solid state digital meters. Think about 93. Now, yeah. you, you, you were both too young. To understand that, but in '93, computers weren't on every desk yet. They were they were on. Oh, yeah. I remember few, the computer lab at school. Yeah, they were in a computer lab. So the fact that that a meter shop would have a computer ready to program meters was unheard of. And so, where I could have potentially entered into an industry that did not welcome me with open arms. When I showed up with a laptop, which was the size of a cinder block, <laughs> when I showed up with a laptop that was there to program their new meters, they were like, thank goodness you're here. We hey. have been waiting for you to get here so you can show us how this is going to work. So I got extremely fortunate. And suddenly at that moment, meters became electronic. Before that, of course, we talked about in the very first episode that between eight. 1870 and 1895 there were like six different varieties of electric meters and in 1895 was when westinghouse really started to make those mechanical meters that had the gears the magnets yeah. mm -hmm. the and i say everybody remember some people remember the discs yeah and there uh -huh. was a, a a solid disc they even painted a little stripe on that disc so that they could count the revolution. So you had something to go by and count. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, some of the, and some of the very early meters that were doing AMI were actually just shining a light on that disc. And so when it the black stripe would come by, it would stop uh -huh. reflecting for a second, and it would count the, the pulses that way is how they would use a mechanical meter to start sending its data. So wow. um, they started doing that. But suddenly everybody needed to program these meters and, of course, uh, there were lots of, of questions, but one of the biggest questions, and I think we'll answer this as we hit some of the myths, was that are these going to be accurate? Because now we're so used to being able to take a screwdriver. Yeah, I haven't even told you this. I used to watch uh, meter techs in their laboratories, and they would sit there and they would put a certain voltage and current on a meter, and then they would watch the discs turn, and they would determine if it was slow or fast. And they could calibrate it with a screwdriver. Oh wow! And speed it up or Goodness. slow it down because we were fine. And, and oh, by the way, they never sped up; right. they slowed down. <laughs> so for many, many years, these electro yeah. these these mechanical meters would slow down over time. And so a lot of people would notice that when they put a new meter in, suddenly their their bill would go up because the meter is a new meter. New and meter. Well, right. these digital meters were calibrated to not change and not be inaccurate. They were computer. And so when they put on there, they were either accurate or they were off. You know, they didn't yeah, work yeah. or they broke. Yeah. And so these things suddenly were more accurate. And most people's bill went up ever so slightly because <laughs> they were used to these meters that had slowed down. Yeah. Um, these meters are tested 
but they're not really calibrated. If they're tested and you find any problem with them, usually it's just broken. They're thrown away. It's 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 either accurate or it's or it's not. Yeah. And uh, and there's no calibration on these. So we we went through that period of starting to change out with solid state meters. That was a big change in our industry. And suddenly we were able to take a laptop out there. We would take a optical probe, stick it on the front, and download interval readings or download any information about the meter. Wow. And suddenly we knew way more about the service we were providing, the power quality, what usage we were using hour by hour. We could actually build a load profile for that member. But how tedious is it uh-huh. to go out there With and laptop, laptop yeah. and download the readings from every single meter? You know, prior to 1990, yeah. Wake Electric wasn't even reading our meters ourselves. We were still, we were still having our consumers read their own meters. That's still hard to believe. I just, wow. <laughs> you know, they had to read the dials, write down their reading, do the calculation of what they owed, and just send it in on their own. We didn't send them anything. <laughs> they just used these, wow. they used these like cards and they would fill in and, and pay their own bill. Of course, that allowed for a lot of budget billing. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> if you were a little low on funds one month, you just read a lower reading. I think that we would go out and I, I don't know this for certain, but I think we'd go out at least once a year and just get a true up reading and try to get everybody back up to speed. But yeah. it, it was a, it was self-serve for the most part. Then we started reading meters. Then uh, the next sort of realm of meters came when we started to put RF on the meters. RF is radio frequency. frequency. And we were doing these really short-range reads, which means you put an antenna on your truck. These meters would sit there and just chirp every 15 seconds. And they would chirp very small distances, maybe 300 feet. And the truck would drive down the road and be picking oh, yeah. up the readings as we go. So we no longer had to stop. To walk up. You could just have drive to walk the up. neighborhood. It prevented us from meeting dogs, <laughs> you know, angry customers or anything like that. We didn't have that. Now, it does give up our interaction with the member. There's some members that would wait on the porch for us to come and just strike yeah. up a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now we were just flying by and, and reading their meters. And, and that's how we read meters here at Wake Electric for quite some time. So... But everybody was wondering, how do we stop going out and reading a one reading a month type of reading? We all recognize, and we definitely recognize now, that interval readings from meters are a sensor at every location we serve and gives us a chance to evaluate on a, on a very consumer-by-consumer basis the power quality that we're providing. And we recognize that we needed more data. So it's a data world now, isn't it? It's a data world now. In ninety, in the nineties, we were just trying to figure out how we migrated to that, and there were two real substantial ways of doing it back in the nineties. One, which took on like wildfire, was to actually send a signal across the power lines, and so the meter would wow. send a signal and would use the power lines as a conductor to get back to a substation or a collector, uh, and then we would. Get the, the readings from the collectors. Uh, the The technology back then was actually called the, the the main manufacturer of that technology was actually called Turtle, because Turtle. and it took <laughs> over twenty four hours to get a reading. So it was a very delayed reading because so it, t- it took that long to get through. Think about it, if it's coming across the line, it's got to go through a transformer. What is a transformer? But a coil of 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 copper and wire that has to punch through 
all of that to get to the line, which it can then travel back. So we found these transformers, distribution transformers, were, were a big impediment to getting fast speeds um, for for meter reading. But in the other way was, and you youngsters are really going to love this, landline telephone. Oh, man. <laughs> do, do, do you have a landline phone? Uh, my grandmother did. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother did. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I just got rid of my landline about a couple years ago. We did um, too, yeah. Right, you did too. So, But back then, everybody had a landline. Mm-hmm. Cell phones yeah. were still flip phone at best in the mm. 90s and usually bag, bag phones. phones yeah. yeah. So there was a, a company out of uh, Tennessee called Udalink, and they would put a module out there that would connect to your home phone. And it would pick up your line and call the utility and give it give you its readings. Oh wow! And if the consumer ever needed the line, they picked it up. It would drop the meter, and and it, and they would have priority. And that technology technically worked. We could make it work in a laboratory, but we were finding that one, it was very common for a meter to seize the phone line. So it would take the phone line, and then the the customer couldn't use it. Oh, and when you are using two different uh, service providers, the telephone company and the utility, and it was ever a problem with meter reading, it was very easy to point fingers. Well, the telephone said, it's your meter, and we would say it was the telephone company's uh, fault. Yeah. A lot of finger okay, pointing. Okay. And and so that worked, and there were a lot of lots sold and a lot deployed, but it has, it died on the vine pretty quickly in the, in the mid-2000s. That was pretty much gone. And thus started the most common methodology which is rf radio frequency um there is a next step i will talk about it at the end there is a ne- another step after radio frequency but people started to build two types of radio frequency communication one was a mesh network and by mesh it means that you put a collector sort of center of a cluster of meters and all of those mm-hmm. meters would talk to that collector and then we would pull that reading out if for any reason that collector went down and those meters could talk to each other and get to another collector, it would. So you would find that these meters wouldn't necessarily be just meter to collector. It would be meter to meter to meter to meter to collector. Okay. okay? Uh-huh. And, it, and if one of those meters went down or went out of service, it would find another route. And the other one is more point to multipoint. We put one tower, and you, you can reach all your meters from that tower, and they all... Uh-huh. And they all talk. Um, Wake Electric has chosen the point to multipoint. We have meters that talk to a tower, mm-hmm. and we have as many as fifteen towers around our service territory doing that. So what what we started to do it is now is once we got to RF, we could start reading our meters a lot more frequently. Our our baseline is to read the meter every four hours, and then with about a ten second transmission, our meter downloads the last four hours of data. Any alarm, wow. or, and not any, it does alarm. Ten seconds. If there were any blinks, it, what the average voltage was over those last four hours, and what are some of the other things, Sean, that y'all see? What do y'all look up when you look up a smart meter? What are you looking for? We mainly look at the alarm history, see if there's any um, over voltage or high temperature alarms and things that could potentially harm the meter, any untampering. Sure. Um that's what we mainly look at on alarms and oh, power that, fail, um, power, power failures. You use that when you're pinging anything, you're trying to see something. Tell us about that. 
if we feel like there might be an issue with a meter, the first thing that we do is uh, ping the meter, see if we get a response from it, because a response from the meter basically means, hey, I'm working. Right, um, which you've got power or, to or, do that. Or, or, or you got power to do that, at least. We have a lot of times when a, when a member would call us and say, my power's out. Well, how do you know? And the answer is, well, I'm on vacation, but my neighbor called and told me it was out, so mine must be <laughs> out. And and we ping their meter to find out, yep. no, in fact, they're not out. They they exactly. just heard so. through the grapevine that they could have been out, so they figured they'd call us. So, but that tells that that prevents a major expense, which is a truck roll. Yep. And for a utility like ours, it's almost two hundred dollars to take a yep. serviceman and a truck out and a service truck out to a site and back just to check. And so, it prevents a whole truck roll. So the, yep. the amount of money savings on some of this information. Tremendous. It is immense. Yeah, so, a lot, a lot of, a lot of situations like that. Most of the time, is a trip breaker as well. Yeah. Um. You know. So the last thing we want to do is roll a truck over there just for a breaker switch when we see that everything else is communicating well. And uh, right. You know. So think about the line, the one line for this. Power comes to our meter, meter, and then it goes from our meter to your breaker box. And so, what would you tell? What would you tell any member that is out? and is confused why may, they might be out but not their neighbors or anything like that, what do you tell them? That usually it might be a breaker is- issue inside their home and to check their breakers first before um, we decide any other factors. Perfect. Um, yep. And most of the time we've already looked up the meter ourselves and checked for any alarms or anything that might have been wrong with it even before we call so that we kind of know that that should be the situation. Yep. Cool. Cool. Good. Well, um, uh, what we have to talk about here is when we started to deploy smart meters, anything that we change is going to cause certain groups to, to start to show some concern, and rightfully so. Yeah, uh, we yep. should always teach ourselves to be skeptical first yep. and, 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 and make our own decision after we've determined what information and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that started to kind of go rampant in the – 2011 to 2015 time frame, which was when a lot of utilities were starting to put smart meters out there. Now, I may be poking a, a, a hornet's nest here, <laughs> but uh, I want to go back and revisit because a lot of the a lot of the hype has died down on these myths because I think most of them have been squashed. But I still feel comfortable enough that it was the, it, smart meters are the right decision, uh-huh. and I'm not trying to push a political agenda of any kind. I'm just want to very factually talk about the benefits that we receive and also talk about any risks that people think there might be associated with smart meters. So yeah. I want to do that. And so uh, if that, can we just uh, jump right into a myth? Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I will tell you, I got this, um, this reference here is the Smart Grid Consumer Collaborative. It is a membership-based research company. Uh-huh. And I love the name because it's not a utility-based, it's consumer-based. It's a consumer collaborative. So they're out there getting membership from consumers that are concerned about electric issues, and they do the research for them. Right. So this is a perfect resource. This is not coming from a utility. Unbiased. This is coming from a, a collaborative of consumers. Yeah. And so I've got those, Kirk. So yeah. we have a myth number one that a lot of people had was, I'll have to pay for the installation of a smart meter. So I think we can very easily uh, squash that. I say, no, uh, it is it is included in the rates that that you pay for a uh, for your power bill. Most power bills have an energy charge, but they also have a facilities charge or a service charge. Now that is often 
criticized because you're telling me if you don't give me any power this month, you're still going to charge me something. And that facility's charge or service charge is there so we can pay for the the equipment and the maintenance to maintain the lines to get to your house. So just know that that service charge is there so that we can perform our, our basic services. By putting that in there and covering our operation costs, that means we can keep our energy costs as low as possible. Uh-huh. That variable cost can be as low as possible because we're not using that to subsidize our operations. Yeah. Okay? Right. Um, but we So we put all that cost into your electric bill. You should see no change. Now, only change you could see is if the cost of smart meters did raise rates. That could happen. So I don't want to say it, you yeah. won't have to pay anything in your rates. But most of the time, utilities have been able to find the benefit and get the um, payback, payback yeah. to 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 make sure that's absorbed in the existing rates. You may read some more myths, or yeah, what's yeah, what's the next myth? <clears throat> Smart meters are a health threat because they communicate using wireless signals. Right. Okay. This is probably the biggest. We'll spend more time on this than any other myth out there because we are talking about radio frequency, mm-hmm. and there is a concern that radio frequency causes. Thermal health impacts. And the best way to determine whether radio frequency can cause or electromagnetic frequency causes health is to look at what would happen if we put ourselves in a microwave. Because we're basically using magnetic and frequency and, and radio frequency to cook in a microwave. So, yes, it does cause some thermal. But the amount and yeah, quantity of, of these is uh, definitely something to take a close look at and show how safe. Now, keep in mind, cell phones are RF. So if we have any concern about RF, why are we holding a cell phone to our ear or holding a cell phone in front of our face for so long during a day? So I want to make sure I quote fact as much as possible. And I am holding probably one of the best white papers that have ever been written on the RF effects of smart meters. It was written in January 2011, still valid today because the technology hasn't changed from this because a lot of this is just reporting what the FCC says is safe. Mm -hmm. And this was written by the California Council on Science and Technology, Uh and we will put a link to it in our notes so you can you can find it but ultimately i just want to i'll just jump to it this is a 50 page document so there's tons of information in here (laughs) but i wanted to just report their key findings their key findings are wireless smart meters when installed properly and maintained result in a much smaller level of radio frequency exposure than many existing common household electronic devices particularly cell phones and microwave ovens Um, The current FCC standard provides an adequate factor of safety known as thermally induced health impacts. So they would do studies that said if I put a direct 100% load cycle, a load cycle would be how often it's projecting. So if you said 100%, it's always on. And they would study animals and see what the thermal effects of animals would be. And they would show like at certain levels of 180 watts per kilogram, kilograms about every two pounds, for a 100% load cycle would start to cause eating behavior changes in certain animals. Now, 180 watts per kilogram, 100% load cycle. I'll just go ahead and stop there and say the technology that we use today is typically two watts. And like I said, when (laughs) when it sends a signal, it's about 10 seconds. So it's a load factor of one minute 
out of a day, out of 24 hour period, which is a 0.002 load cycle percent load cycle. So it's very infrequent and two, two Watts. So I'm not going to ask your weights here in the, in the the room, but if you think about it, if you weighed a hundred pounds, you could, the FCC says you could almost have direct 100% exposure. Let me do my math. 7,200 Watts. 24 hours a day and we're doing two two yeah so um and the microwave you said was what a thousand yes you know typically a thousand watt microwave now it's enclosed so not all of it of the of the frequency think about the the people that just open it when it's still going you know the they say don't ever do that let it stop you know (laughs) how many people pull open the door i don't know it it should stop right (laughs) but i mean i've I've seen people you know they're you know, they're microwaving their food or whatnot, and there's a few seconds left, and they go on and pull the door open. I was always told, you know, not to do that, just to let it finish. I, I have this right here, PG&E, I believe that's Pacific Gas and Electric, did a study on the, on the transmitting of meters and said that since meters are only transmitting 2 to 4% of the time, and I've already said ours is like 0.2% of the time, um, right. that – the study notes that they are 70 times less than the FCC limit, but 3,500 times less than demonstrated hazard levels. So very safe. So I'm looking at a chart right now, and I'm showing Kurt and Sean, and it's just a graph of different different types of devices that we find in our home. And this is measured in microwatts per centimeter squared, so watts against a certain area on your body. And they have measured that a smart meter 10 feet away, always on, is 4 microwatts per centimeter squared. So remember that, 4. Yeah, 4. Uh-huh. A smart meter 3 feet away, always on, is 40. So it's 10 times more. A microwave oven 2 feet away is about 200. <laughs> Okay, so it's it's already wow. five times yeah. more than standing five feet away from an always-on, or three feet away from an always-on meter. Yeah. And then a cell phone at your ear, 5,000. Wow. Sheesh. That's a lot. Um, so um, it is uh, just some comparison there. So we're just hitting that one myth, and, and there, this is 50 pages of documents yeah. that go through FCC studies, how they figured it out, and other studies that were done. They also spend some time talking about how the benefits of these, these meters um, – offset it and we'll hit that a little bit later so um want to make sure that we did the research we installed our meters in 2012 using documents like this that were written in 2011 to make sure we chose technologies that were not going to be harmful for the public so and we haven't updated our meters since then no we use the same technology that we used in 2012 now a lot of programming and features have been added but nothing to the right. technology we use to and with get them the being meter. smart you can add those those features so maybe you don't have to replace your meters yes as often we do firmware upgrades yeah. and meter configuration upgrades over the air yeah so we See, don't that's have cool to, you, you know, don't have to go out there it's like change updates the on your ipad right 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 yep. all right another myth smart meters are less accurate than analog meters oh I love it. Uh, I've already mentioned. You got the that. magnets. I've already, I've already mentioned that. Uh, yes, on on a on a on a old meter, you could have turned it upside down. You could have pulled 
dangerous. Don't do this yeah. because there are dangers to pull in an electric meter. We use all the appropriate PPE when we pull a meter. You can pull a meter, turn it upside down, plug it back in, and it runs backwards. Or you can put certain magnets in certain locations around it, and it will stop the disc from turning and yeah. all those tricks. Can't do that with these meters. No. They are going to be <laughs> – they're going to run, but they're also going to be very, very accurate. They are a point. 2% accuracy rating yeah. guaranteed. So they are going to be accurate. They're going to stay accurate. They're not going to drift. It's not a mechanical device. It's yeah. a solid-state device. Good. So they are going to be more accurate. All right. Yep. Now, what about smart meters will not keep my data secure? You know how everybody's wanting super, everything to be safe. Super important know? to consider. IT world. Um, I have received you know documents saying from members, well, who can see my data? And what do you plan to do with my data? And... Mm-hmm. What if the government decides to subpoena my data? All good questions. Right. We are only collecting data that is measuring the kilowatt hours, and we're collecting data that is kilowatts. And I'm going to hit that probably in later episodes when we talk about electric vehicle charging and and that sort of thing. But watts is sort of the the amount you need at any one given time, whereas kilowatt hours is how much you need for a month's time or say or an hour's time. The... Data is collected. We're collecting hourly readings, plus we're collecting any alarms. That data is going to a meter data management um, site. Meter data management system checks the data for validity. So it's looking to see if if we didn't see these huge spikes of really random numbers that came out, that, that the data didn't get damaged in in when it came back uh-huh. to us. So it's checking for anomalies and, and helping correct those and flag those so we can go look at them. It's stored in a meter data management, which is very secure in a data center. Data centers I would put up there as the highest level of security. That's their job is to keep this data secure. Right. Um, yeah. We then obviously pull that data out so that we can put that data on a web portal now so our members can use that data to look at their usage. Uh-huh. So we're not collecting the data for just our eyes. We're collecting yep. data so we can give that data back so our members can see what they're using when yep. and hopefully make great decisions about that. It is on cybersecurity 100%, and that is a big priority, like we've said in the past and we'll say in future episodes, that cybersecurity is what protects their data. Yep. We do not intend to sell that data, use that data for anything other than keeping their power affordable, reliable, and safe. Uh, that is the that is the efforts we put there. So yes, we are going to use the data for analytics. Very rarely are we going to use these for specific analytics on one house or anything. We're going to group right. them into lumps of, yeah. of analytics and say how could we be doing uh, what we do better. And the members can see. I love how they can go to Smart Hub and they can say, Hey, yesterday, you know, I used fifty five kilowatt. Yes, you know. And yes. why do these? Well, maybe they put a new pool in with a pump. And suddenly we have the answer, and they yeah. say, oh, I had no idea. Yep. I'm going to make sure that pump doesn't run overnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's no, if we're not using it, we're not going to use it. And an, another myth kind of along the same line, smart meters are invasion of privacy. Big one. Yeah, so there were usually, when we were putting this in, I was taking phone calls from one of two. One was, um, you are invading my privacy or you are causing health issues. We've already talked about the health issues. Yep. Invasion of privacy. The, the technology that most people refer to is that, that they believe that by looking at their hourly data, we can tell what they're doing in their house. And I would welcome any of our members to come in and sit down, and I will show them their data and them trying to tell us 
what they were doing that day um, because, you know, so much of our house cycles, our refrigerators, our mm-hmm. air conditions. And if you're using a kilowatt hour, I don't know if that's the air condition, the refrigerator, a TV mm-hmm. or some other the device. Dryer, the yeah. Uh, so there's lots of different devices and we do not profile those to be very transparent. There may be technology in the very, very soon future that changes that because what they've determined is that there's such thing called digital signal processing that can take a look at the sine wave that comes through the meter. And each device actually in your home does have a waveform signature that is just oh. it's just to them. Mm. So they can look at this waveform and go, that's a refrigerator. Oh, wow. Or they can look at another one and say, that's yeah. the dryer. That's the garage door opener. There are people that have, that, cool. that have gone out, not from the utility, but gone out and bought a device like Sense. Not a plug, not an uh-huh. endorsement, but S-E-N-S-E is a device that people use. They can they can clip it onto their breaker panel, and they can start to disaggregate their load to determine where it's going. And they've actually used the garage door opener as a security for themselves. Oh, I want to know when the garage door goes up and down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to know yeah. when the kids come home or yeah. when the, my, my wife or husband is coming home. Mm-hmm. I want to watch that garage door. They um, There are companies that are putting this in meters. We do not yet have that technology at Wake Electric, but there are um, discussions of meters putting that in there and then offering that as a service. And then you can find out what in your home is using the most power. Everybody I've ever talked to doing this is going to be an opt-in type of technology. We're not just going to collect it. We're going to let people opt into that sort of thing when it comes out. So once again, not widely used today, but it's definitely being talked about as a service that yeah. we can provide to help you as a consumer understand what's yeah. being used in your house. I had a member call me, uh, no names here, but was fussing at me about it because if I put a smart meter on their house, I would be able to tell the different colors that the TV is displaying, which would allow me to tell what they're seeing on TV. Wow. Uh... Yeah. And I, I tried to as politely huh. as possible say, sir, if I wanted to know what you were watching on TV, I'd probably call your cable company, not your yeah. electric company, yeah. or I'd call your your, your internet provider. Yeah. Your meter's not um, going to tell us. Our meters, I, I, I invited that person in directly. Come sit at my desk. Yeah. We'll pull up yours. You tell me what you're watching and with the data yeah. I'm seeing. It's really a, a very generic data that helps us from an engineering operations standpoint do better at what we do. Yeah. Just a couple more real quick. Um, smart meters not provide, and we've kind of touched on this, provide any uh, consumer benefits. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll touch bit. on it real yeah. quick. Um, cost savings um, because we're able to be more efficient right. with our truck rolls. Increased um, convenience for the data is available to our members. The biggest one is we now know when the power's out. So the way the meter works is there's a capacitor in there that just has enough stored energy in it so that when the power goes out, they use that capacitor to send this big blast message out, I'm out of power. So now we don't have to necessarily wait for that consumer to call us to tell us they're out. We usually know within a few seconds or about a, about 120 yeah. seconds. After 120 seconds, we now know that that meter is out. We can put that in the outage management system, predict the larger scope of the outage, uh-huh. and send the lineman in the right position to go fix it. So huge benefits. All right. Now, last one. And I thought this was interesting, you know, considering all the different appliances that we've mentioned. But smart meters are hazardous, increasing the risk of fire and explosion. Right. Um, so that, that did get a lot of media attention, and I'm happy to address <laughs> that. Um, 
Yes. Think about this. Meters didn't change for a hundred years. So right. those mechanical meters were sitting out there for years at a time. Now they would pull them to, to test them if, if the utility was testing regularly. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time those meters had stayed in place for a long time. Meter bases are metal. They can rust. They can get they can get worn out. The jaws that hold those meters in place can spread and it's not as tight a connection. Mm-hmm. So imagine a, an old meter had been there for ten years. And this meter installer goes in there and yanks that meter out and then slams a new meter in. Well, what broke in that process? Did we break a lug? Did we yeah. did did something <laughs> sure, did we sure. spread across that? Was the meter base um bad to start with and, and they didn't report that? And so what started happening when these massive change outs were happening? Right. Imagine millions of meters being changed out every month. Quick question. Yeah. The the new meters was the plug the same as the old one? Yes. I mean, did you have you, to make okay? Yeah, I was just, just curious for took, our listeners. You took know, took one meter out, put the new meter in. So this okay, yeah. all right. Unless it was a phone line meter, you had to do those <laughs> other things. Right. Um, but the but the RF ones are like that. So yeah. we just had these massive chains out all at the same time. So I would say that lackluster investigation of the meter base before you slam that new meter in probably caused some some issues with uh, lugs and connections not uh-huh. being suitable caused heating in the meter base and there were some fires okay and but the fires were not related to the technology right they were related to pre-existing conditions that did not get reported when the meters were being changed out yeah and so well you now, think the connector had been there forever and then you're going to put in a new meter if the plugs sure. are the same you know and you got a new high-tech meter and and i also don't want to say there weren't electrical issues in some of the new meters they would short out but very and often you would get some water leakage in some of these meters because they were a new cover and the solid state components didn't really act react very well to water and and they would short out and sometimes cause a fire and they would burn up themselves or 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 blow off the house is but those were those have been fixed over time but we had a couple of those too and we just you know it was a, it was a brand new technology being put out there so is, is it true back in the day that the covers for the meters were glass oh yeah wow okay. they were glass they would <laughs> now explode. it's a hard plastic right yeah most okay. it's plastic and we do see uh we do see overheating that's one of the things that is a benefit of meters did you want to say something oh um I was just saying, you you saying like the high temp and everything like that. I just said it earlier. Yes. That's one of the alarms that we look out for, high high temp alarms. They send out the signal and say, hey, oh, wow. this is a higher temperature than normal. That's we have a serviceman that um, that's his main focus is to go to these meters and check on them and make sure that if it is overheating, see if there's a problem with the meter base or if the meter itself needs to be uh, pulled or anything like that before right. a fire could potentially be gone. Sure. And that's that's excellent that's because awesome. that was a response to what are we causing by putting this new technology in. We've put yeah. heat sensors in the meter. We even have meters that have remote disconnects. So if we ever needed to disconnect your power, maybe you're moving out or you're a renter and you have a tenant, we can just turn those on and off remotely. And we have meters that when they register a high temperature alarm, and that high temperature alarm is actually greater at the back of the meter versus the front of the meter, it would denote that the that the heat is coming from the meter base, which is dangerous. Right. It automatically just disconnects the service. Wow. So that we prevent that's great. fire. Yeah. Now, that's going to be an irritant when your power goes out, but there's a it probably yeah. it might have saved a potential exactly. fire. Absolutely. Exactly. Might have saved someone's life. Anything else? That's it for the myths. 
Well, I just want good. I want to close out by oh. by just saying that you know, there's so many benefits that we're seeing from this, and I and I'm glad that it's become more accepted. But still, yeah. to this day, we have about fifty two thousand meters that we've put out there. We have seven meters that our members still pay us ten dollars a month on their electric bill just so we'd come out and read it so they would not get one of these this is not going to happen in uh forever in the future but we did want an opt out for people that did have concerns about that but i think it's a very very small percentage and hopefully over time people come to accept this technology is proven tested and very valuable to the way we do business and i think smart meters are one of the two foundations of smart grid and those two are SCADA, which is what we monitor our large assets with mm-hmm. and smart meters, which we monitor the end of line consumer level. When you have those two data points to consider, we know a lot about what's going on in our grid and can, can support it better. Exactly. Awesome. Cool. Let's go to listener questions. <sighs> Refreshing. <laughs> Gets me all calmed down from being all excited about smart meters. You were using using your bag on that one, your wheelhouse. I was going to say, that is definitely his wheelhouse. We actually have a listener that called in onto our voice line and left us a question, and it's recorded. Yes. We made it. We made it. (laughs) It took four episodes to get here, but we are here. And so we actually get to play a listener question. Hello, Changing Energy. This is Liz from Wake Forest. I'm a big fan, big, big fan. My question is, what is the future of solar, and how does Elon Musk and Tesla play into what's happening with Changing Energy? Love you guys. Bye. Aw. That is amazing. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Good question, but it is a big question. It's a question that probably needs its whole episode to support it, uh, but we'll just hit it real quick. Future of solar. It's solid. Uh, we have proven the technology. There's an abundance of it around the world, and there's no doubt, and no one can question that the solar technology it works is there. So we we're, we're we're happy about that. There is a problem with solar, and we'll get into some of those. Is that it's not what we call dispatchable, or it's intermittent, and by that means I think I mentioned on a previous episode that when electricity is generated, it's used instantaneously. Yep. So we have this intermittent source that is only available when the sun is shining. It makes it so that we as a utility can't dispatch it where and when we need it. Thus, we get introduction of battery storage. That is the hot topic because when you pair solar energy with battery storage, then you have a way of using the power when you need it. Mm -hmm. So if you have excess solar in the middle of the day, put it in the battery Dispatch it when you're peaking and it's an off and it's not sunny outside. I guess in 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 an essence, Elon Musk and Tesla are doing an excellent job promoting battery storage. They're not the only manufacturer. Oh, There's yeah. several out there. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk obviously likes the limelight and yeah. is getting a lot of PR <laughs> about it. Yeah. He's done great things by building a lot of batteries in Australia. He's done great things of building a lot of batteries in Puerto Rico after the hurricane uh-huh. hit them. Uh, so he's definitely progressing it. Uh, we That is probably going to be uh, the next big thing is, is other storage mechanisms. Yeah. And so I think... It's all about storage. Pairing solar, which is going to be here forever, uh-huh. with a storage solution really does make yep. this industry, pardon the pun, shine. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to add, just solar energy is um, 
crucial for my age group and anybody under my great um, my age group. We really like uh, solar and trying to incorporate that. Yeah, I recently talked to a middle middle school age group. Hey, <laughs> yeah, tell, tell a story real quick. Yeah, I, I was talking to a middle school uh, group. It was a career day or an industry day, and I was speaking, and I asked the students, "What is the fuel sources we use to generate electricity?" And every hand goes straight up in the air. Everybody had an answer until I asked the little girl in the front row, and she said, "Solar." And as soon as she said that word solar, every other hand in the room went down. That was pretty much wow. everybody's answer. Yeah. And, of course, nuclear, natural gas, coal, uh-huh. and renewables are all sources yeah. that we use. But it was really interesting that it's getting a lot of play. So um, it is important to this generation mm-hmm. that we progress that and, and battery storage and, and pairing it up. But I promise a future episode we go in that a lot more depth. So. We're glad that everybody is enjoying this and appreciate We would like a lot more questions, yes, and especially please. if you leave us a message, we'd love to play it for you. Yeah. So uh, with that, Kirk, tell right. us how, can, how uh, everybody can find us. Sounds good. You can find us at our website, www.wemc.com. You can email us at changingenergy at wemc.com. You can call us at 919 Three three one. You can follow us on Twitter at Changing Capital NRG. Follow us on Facebook, Changing NRG. We're on iTunes and Spotify. So please call us and uh, leave us some feedback as well, and also ask some questions. Sounds good. With that, we will close it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing Energy Podcast. Our team consists of Don, Kirk, and Sean, with special appreciation going out to Ira Osby, our audio engineer, Leanna Crumpler, artistic and social guru, and Deshaun Gibbs, music and innovation. We look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Until then, keep the energy going. What's it like? But you got to get the... I like I like it when you say give me something. <laughs> <laughs> Good job guys. That was awesome. Did you just